0: Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. are now into chapter two of Revelation for Exhale Bible Discovery, and this is Dr. Paula McDonald, and I'm excited to be here with you. So we're just going to jump right in because there's a lot of notes. As usual, God just downloads big time into me. Following the spectacular opening chapter, these next two lessons are going to focus on the message for the seven churches that are mentioned. Each church receives a letter recognizing their ministry, but also pointing out warnings to them. Out of the seven churches, only one, the church at Smyrna, does not receive a warning. Have you received warnings in your life? Warnings can be viewed as blessings if we choose to learn from them and heed those messages. Warning signs on the highway tell us to slow down, use caution, watch for a drop-off or a roadblock, And wouldn't it be great if we had literal signs in our pathway of life? Well, we really do. And they are contained right here in the Word of God. But it's only when we choose to open our eyes to the warnings, obey the signs, and change directions that these warnings offer us good direction. When we choose to ignore the signs and continue along our same route, is when we meet with impending disaster. Warnings are there for us to pay attention. All right, we're going to break this down. We've got four churches to discuss. We've got the first two in the first section and the second two in the next and last section. Our first division, the churches that are lukewarm and persecuted from Revelation 2, 1 through 11. And as we begin getting into these seven churches, it's important to remember the words, He who has an ear, let him hear. And this clearly indicates these letters are messages to the early churches, but also to us as a church today and as individual believers. Well, this first church at Ephesus We call that the lukewarm church, and this goes through verses one through seven. So we're going to start each section with a little bit of geography and history about each of these cities, because I think it's informative, but it's also extremely interesting. So Ephesus was the closest in proximity to the island of Patmos in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. This was a large city, about 250,000 people. It was a large seaport that was important for shipping and trades. The Temple of Diana, which is the Roman name, or Artemis, the Greek name, was very prominent here, and she was known as the goddess of the hunt, the fertility goddess, childbirth, and over wild animals. So Paul and John are both known to have traveled extensively to Ephesus, and they converted many from the cult of Artemis into Christianity. Don't you know that made a lot of people mad? Mary, Jesus's mother, was also known to be in Ephesus with John during her final years. Paul wrote an epistle called Ephesians based on his missionary journey there. So let's start with verse 1. The angel or messenger is addressed, and then identifying Jesus, him, with the seven stars, which are the church leaders, in his right hand, walking among the seven lampstands, which we know are the churches. Verses 2 to 3, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Well, you guys, Jesus sees all things, the good and the bad. But I love that he tells them what they are doing well at the beginning. And he notices, too, when you and I do things for the kingdom, even when it may appear at times that your work goes unnoticed. He also lets them know that he understands that they have persevered through hard times when we are put down because we are called judgmental, arrogant Christians because we maintain that Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, Jesus will reward us for our perseverance. Even when things get tough in our world, things being censored in a way that we've never experienced, he is telling us, keep our eyes on him, stand on his word, and remain strong. Next, he continues that he knows they were not tolerating wicked people and that these people were tested. This was and is today very important to remember. The scriptures are clear, very clear on how we are to live and his word has not changed. Therefore, When we decide to look the other way where sin is concerned, God simply does not and will not and never will tolerate evil. What he says goes. And the final point in verse 2 discusses the testing of false teachers. And how can we know false teachings if we don't know his word? Well, here's some great Verses to confirm this truth in Acts 17 11, Those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. See, they even put Paul through the sieve, and that's important. Romans 12 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hebrews five fourteen. but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The warning then comes in verses 4 and 5, yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus tells this church that their love for him had waned It had been over 30 years since Paul wrote the book of Ephesians that commended them in Ephesians 1 5, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And then since that time, the church had lost that first love. And remember, Jesus' commandment, his first commandment is to love others and to love God with everything you have. And the danger and message is that we can never become so caught up in the rules of religion that we negate the love. So Jesus's main message to mankind was to love one another in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Well, the book of John is a great place to go and read if you are feeling this lacking of love for one another. And y'all, it's easy to lose sight of this commandment when we continue to see the hatred and the violence and the just complete disregard for God and his word. He reminds them that they can and should repent or turn from their ways. And the biggest warning comes at the end of verse 5 when he says, if they don't repent, he will come and remove their lampstand from its place. And remember, the oil in the lamp is Christ's dwelling in the church and within you. If he removes this light or it becomes dim, you've lost the fuel for your fire. And so how does one refuel the oil of Christ? It's easy. Go to him. Tell him you're sorry and ask him to fill your lamp again. He hasn't fully left you as a believer. However, you haven't done your part to keep his flame alive because it's a two-way street. It's not just him pouring into you; you have to pour back into him. Go back and reread the parable of the ten virgins regarding those who were prepared and those who were not prepared with the oil in their lamps, and you can find this in Matthew twenty-five one through thirteen. Verse six says that the church hated the practice of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus said he also hated. And wow, that's pretty strong language. So let's look at who was this person referring to the Nicolaitans. It was Nicholas who led a set of Gnostic or Gnosticos, which is Greek, those who have Gnosis or knowledge. And his name can be derived from a Greek root meaning conqueror or destroyer. And Gnosticism basically claims that through knowledge alone, one becomes closer to God. Well, Jesus, he completely dispelled that line of thinking, hey, it's through grace alone that we are saved. We can only be so smart, you guys, and and we can be smart as all get out and know the Bible inside and out. Yet, if we don't believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, we've missed the mark. Although the set of Nicolotians seems to have disappeared into historical obscurity. The ideologies of this group kind of persist today. In the American culture, Christians now face a choice to blend into society or stand out in this culture of compromise. And guess what? Our culture is reaching a tipping point where we have to choose who we will follow, and it does require a sacrifice. We can serve God's things, money, or God himself. And if we choose the latter, like the church of Ephesus, we can resist the Nicolotians and their attempts to drag us with them into their acts of idolatry and immorality. In the final verse of this part about Ephesus, verse 7, we see this repeated numerous times. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. And here Jesus encourages believers to pay attention or to wake up. And we can't pay attention to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. If we are distracted by the world, when we do pay attention, we are rewarded by the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. That's pretty cool. Jesus was victorious in death, and he promises this to us, his believers. Now that is a victory that I can look forward to. So your truth bomb for this first section is Jesus warns his church about becoming lukewarm in their faith. And your call to action, how have you become lukewarm? And what do you need to do in order to repent of this? Moving into the second church, Smyrna, which we're going to call the persecuted church. And this is verses 8 through 11. And this ancient city, it's small north of Ephesus on a peninsula that juts out into the Aegean Sea. And it was a city of great beauty and architecture. In AD 178, a large earthquake hit the city, and then it was rebuilt again in the second century. And this letter was written during the times of Domitian, which we've talked about him before and how ruthless he was. And it was extreme Christian persecution. And the church at Smyrna faced even more opposition than most due to the strong influence of emperor worship in that city, which at that time required by law and was punishable by imprisonment or death if they didn't worship the emperor. So there was a significant community of Jews as well, including at least one large synagogue. But unfortunately, many of these Jews fiercely opposed Christianity. And just as Paul and his friends had been opposed and attacked by Jews in other cities, the Christians in Smyrna faced persecutions not only from the pagans, but also the Jews. And Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna, was burned alive around 155 AD because he refused to sacrifice to Caesar. And before he died, he said, For 86 years I have served Christ." and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? What a testimony. So in verse 8, these are the words of him who is the first, the last, who died and came to life again. Jesus again is clearly defined as the true God, the one and only. Verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Once again, Jesus intentionally lets them know, hey, I understand the trials that you're going through. And he tells them that although they suffer because of Christ, they are indeed rich. And the riches they possess will be found with Jesus in heaven. And these kind of riches fall far exceed any wealth or extravagance found here on earth. And this is true for each of us as well. Can you even imagine the riches we'll find in heaven? Jesus makes a very strong statement about the Jews saying they were a synagogue of Satan. Now that's pretty harsh. But as we know, Jesus means what he says. So basically Jesus is calling out those who call themselves Jews yet refused to accept Christ, the true King of the Jews. They missed the mark. They missed it completely. There's no middle ground with Christ. You are either with him or you are against him. Then verse 10 says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Jesus once again reaches down and provides us with his soothing words to not be afraid. Remember he did that by putting his hand on John. I love this. The first sentence I heard during my near-death experience was very similar. He said to me, you're going to be okay. Our loving Christ understands what it's like to be fully human. Y'all, he understands our fears firsthand. But he follows by telling them, y'all, tough times are coming. Some would be put in prison to be tested by the devil. And you know what? All of us, we're constantly being tested and tempted by the devil because he desires more than anything to put us as christians to shame to take away our power that we have been given with authority in the holy spirit he cannot stand us and the louder you become for christ the harder the devil will come against you and i can tell you i'm experiencing this in my life big time especially right now there are many thoughts about the meaning of the suffering persecution for 10 days? Well, some believe this is a literal 10 days, while others believe it's referring to a period of time. But the main point is that Satan will not be victorious over those who never, ever deny Christ. And then finally, in verse 11, Jesus calls us to pay attention, wake up. We must hear and be open to hear him and he reminds us that those who remain victorious will not be hurt by the second death amen to this we will experience a physical death on this earth unless we get to be raptured up yet we will never again experience any kind of sting of death Whew. chew on that one for a moment hallelujah We must truly grasp this amazing truth, hang on tightly to it as we navigate through this tumultuous life. So your truth bomb, Jesus understands that we will suffer persecution in this life because of him. And so your call to action is, how will you stand strong for him when the world is telling you that you're wrong? All right, we move into the second part, which are the next two churches. And these are the churches that are indulged and the pagan church. And this is Revelation 2, 12 through 29. Well, let's start with the divided church, which sometimes is called the indulged church. These are verses 12 through 17. We're looking at Pergamum. So It's about 50 miles north of Smyrna, and the city was teeming with pagan worship and cults. And it was a large city known for its pottery, tapestries, and parchments. A large, thriving, busy economy with people just simply running among in self-indulgence and sin. And when this letter was written, they were also under Roman emperor worship and a big throne-like altar of Zeus had been erected on a cliff overlooking the city. And not only were the people to worship the emperor, they also bowed down to the idol god Zeus, Athena, many, many other gods. I mean, these were some seriously lost people, kind of like what we see today. And so we're reminded in verse 12 of Jesus's sharp, double-edged sword. And this makes sense when you recognize the warning that this church was receiving while verse 13 affirms that Jesus is well aware they are surrounded by idols and gods and corruption, even though they were living among the filth of all this. This church stayed true to Jesus' name. He says, You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. So let's talk about the sharp, double-edged sword. And a sword as we know is a weapon used to defend, kill, hold somebody at bay, chop down, and wield power. The word of God is this exact weapon. His words can and will do all of these things and more. Yet, his word can soothe, heal, save, rescue, and fill us with joy. So Jesus's references to where Satan lives shows his utter disdain for the city and what they were involved in. These people were in complete opposition to Christ and what he stood for. It was evil and dark. In verses 14 through 15 begins the warning section. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Bala to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols, committed sexual immorality. And likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of of the Nicolaitans. So we've already discussed the Nicolaitans, but here we see the first division of where this church lies. Look at who Balaam and Balak are. Well, Balaam was a false prophet in Moses' time, and he taught Balak, who was the king of Moab, to use their own women to seduce the Israelites. Yuck, how disgusting. Not only was this morally wrong, it also showed their utter disrespect to use the women in this manner. And now in Pergamum, some of the churches were enticing its members to eat food that had been sacrificed to these gods and idols and that, hey, it's okay to engage in sexual immorality. Hmm, where have we heard that before? Here were some of the church's own leaders causing members to be led astray. Have we seen this in our churches and biblical leaders today? Unfortunately, we have when we've seen church leaders fall into the sin of embezzlement, sexual affairs, homosexuality, and more. And when this happens, Y'all, it hurts the entire church body. It hurts all of us. And so Jesus then calls for repentance in verse 16, telling them that if they did not, he would soon come and would fight against them with the sword of his mouth. And here we see that Jesus will slay the enemy with his words. Jesus's words, you guys, have power and might. And again, the final message to the church in verse 17 is the wake-up call. He promises those who hold a line will be given manna and a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. I love that verse. So manna was the food God provided to the Israelites while they were wandering in the desert. And later, some of this manna was placed into the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder of how God promises and provides for his people. So for those who refused to indulge in the food of the idols, they were promised to be sustained by God himself. And remember, in John 6 35, Jesus said, He was the bread of life. This hidden manna is Jesus, and it's offered. To all of us as believers. And I love the reference to the white stone with a new name on it, meant only for that person as a special gift from the Lord. The significance of white stones, jurors use those white stones to write the name to free a person who is being charged as guilty. And how beautiful that that stone represents a not guilty verdict, just like Jesus's death on the cross offers believers a not guilty verdict. When you receive Christ, you are given a new identity in him. So your truth bomb is the church must be vigilant against false teachings and immoral influences. There can be no compromise with God's word In his standards. And your call to action, in what ways have you compromised with the things of the world that don't line up with God's word? The fourth church, we call the divided church, Revelation 2, 12 through 17, Thyatira. (laughs) That's a tongue twister for me. And this city is about 35 miles east of Pergamum. Textiles and wool were thriving businesses here. Major roads actually culminated here, which allowed for the successful movement of these items. And the most prominent of all of these trade unions was the one that dealt with the manufacture and trade of purple colored cloth. And this purple cloth was so well known, it was expensive and worn by king and queens. And in Acts 14, 16, one of those listening was a woman from the city, Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Y'all, she was one of the first people who heard Paul's message and then was open to the message of Jesus. Verse 18 describes Jesus as having eyes like blazing fire and his feet like burnished bronze. The stage is set reminding the people that Jesus is all-seeing and all-powerful. He will not fall. And as he addresses the church, he tells them he knows their deeds, their love, their faith, service, and perseverance. But he also acknowledges that they were maturing in their faith, which is something we all are continuing to do. The warning is in verse 20, tells them that they tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. This verse, you guys, is packed. We got to take it apart a bit. Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab in First Kings 18, and she was not a good person. She promoted the worship of Baal, who cunningly led church members into sexual immorality and even child sacrifice. The spirit of Jezebel was alive and well in this church, just as it is in ours today. And some of the characteristics of a Jezebel spirit are control, manipulation, discouragement, egocentric attitudes, cunningness, proudness, and the scariest one of all is they typically operate alongside a church leader, or are big-time church leaders themselves. Y'all, she is alive in a well in our church today, and it's not just in women. It's the Jezebel spirit, which can be in men and women. The warning to this church and to us is that we cannot tolerate these types of people. They need to be exposed And even if they are popular and likable, which most of them are, if they are misleading others or living immoral lives themselves, the church must address them and remove them immediately if they won't repent. Verses 21 through 23 continue to share the warnings from Jesus about such behaviors. He tells them he has given them second chances, yet they continue. Therefore, they will suffer along those who fell into her sinful spell. And worst of all, her children will be struck dead. Wow, Jesus means business, you guys. Well, God did not compromise his words and teachings then, and he doesn't today. The world is trying still to convince people that the standards of God are outdated, old-fashioned, and not relevant do what you want to do have sex with whomever you desire live your own life however you wish but we serve a patient god but his patience eventually ends because he is a god of justice therefore sin has to be dealt with in verses 24 through 27 jesus gives his faithful warriors some encouragement and final warnings to you who do not hold to her teaching Jezebel's and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets? Ooh, that's a warning. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on, you guys. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. And the final two verses Jesus tells them he will give them the morning star and to listen up and pay attention. And y'all your truth bomb is this. Majestic Jesus reveals to us his plan for his future return. And your call to action is how are you planning for his return? The first four chapters received specific messages from Jesus that are relevant to us as a church today. We must take the messages and warnings as instructions for our own lives. And my summary sentence is, Jesus encourages us and warns his church to wake up now. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for another great lesson. Continue to open your word to us. Continue to keep all of these faithful warriors safe and give them your God confidence as they can go forward into their week. We love you and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on Podcast and then Exhale Bible Discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.